Welcome, welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas. Thanks for jumping in with us this week. We're here every Saturday and Sunday uh, from the Hot Stove Society, which is in the beautiful Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia. We're glad that you are picking us up either in your backyard, in your car, in your kitchen, on a podcast. You can be picking us up all over uh, all the time. So if you miss us us on the weekend, yeah, or you can watch us on YouTube channel which is at Tom Douglas uh, & Co. And, uh, yeah, we're happy that you're here. Hello, Chef. Good morning, Tom. I'm Terry Rotiro, the Chef in the Hat, and here every week with you. Mm. And we- uh, this week we're taping a little bit early, but it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I-, I know what your taste of the week is going to be because I just ate a bite of it, and I'm so, like, my mouth is just loving that peach. This, that is, this is quite essential uh, late August of Seattle, Washington. That's yeah. that this is, is when this is why we live here. Awesome, awesome. Hey, uh, our producer is here, Pamela Hinckley. Welcome, Pamela. Hi, guys. In <laughs> case you weren't uh, listening or watching last week, Pamela was tricked into taking the food for thought tasty trivia challenge. You know, normally she administers the test with great gusto, and she enjoys, and, and, and she loves beating us down okay. into the ground like squish with a thumb on top. But last week we tricked her, and uh, she had to take the test. And what was your score, Pam? One. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think you went over, if I'm not mistaken. I think I oh, remember. She had, she had one. You she. Gave me a clue. I gave. Oh, uh, really? Okay. All right. Uh, big show today. A couple of things I wanted to mention, though. If you go to Bartel Drugs right now, they have our Ancho Molasses uh, barbecue sauce on sale, and a couple of rubs uh, from the Rub with Love product line so check out your local bartels i know it's not where you kind of expect to find i know <laughs> the rub with love but it's been in there for years and they're a great customer so we'd love you to go support them that would be awesome uh tis the season for gloriously ripe tomatoes we have a couple of uh thoughts on that both using them raw and using them cooked so many reasons to freeze your citrus peel mm-hmm. because uh, i mean I, I watch it every day here in class it's, People just, uh, when they squeeze a lime or something, they just squeeze away, throw away the whole thing. And, and it's, you know, that lemon peel, that lime peel, it's all good in, in multiple areas. I've been, I've been fighting that battle for a few years now. Yeah. Uh, Love the Land fundraiser for Washington Farmland Trust. We're going to let you know how you can help save some of the local farmland here in Washington State. Favorite desserts with plums and peaches are peach trees. You know, we had the sad story that we have three peach trees in our orchard over in Prosser. And we had the sad story that one tree was right, perfectly ready. The, Jackie looked at it with the farm hands on Friday. She says, those are going to be ready Monday morning. We're going to go out and pick Monday morning. She goes out to the tree, and every last peach was stolen from the tree. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. So, But our other two peach trees are, are just starting to come in, and you're eating one of them right it is now. my taste of the week, 100%. Yeah, it's quite spectacular. This is why peaches are so... Magnificent of a fruit because there is such a thing as the perfect time and, and the perfect the, peach, that, yeah, and the perfect peach, and that is it right now. All right, so lastly, we're going to play our food for thought rub with love trivia, uh, of which this week, um, our technical producer Sean is going to be our victim this week. We're going to take him down. We're gonna, he's about six foot tall, and by the time we get done with him, Terry, he's going to be five foot five. All right, well, why don't you follow up on that taste of the week? Yeah, I just can't stay away from it. Taste of the week, the peach from Jackie Cross at Prosper Farm. 
Jackie, I just tried the pitch and Tom gave me graciously. That this is the quite essential perfect pitch this Why? time. Why? What, what to me makes that the best for you? Well, okay, so first of all, the texture. It's That's firm. That's very important. It's got a little firmness, but it's all giving, like, once you close your mouth gently, it just gently goes away. Oh, yeah, but it's, it's firm but not hard. Correct. Right, because uh, you know, I don't like it when they get sloppy. No, no, Sloppy no, ripe, no, you no, know, where course. they kind of melt in your hand. Yeah. I mean, it's delicious, but it's not practical. And um, I cut it in half, contrary to what Pam was thinking. I twisted it, and it, you know, when you twist that, that half, it just slides gently, does not, no resistance, but no mushiness, like uh-huh. you said. That's perfect ripeness. And, and then the flavor is exactly the balance of what I'm looking for in a peach. It's got the right amount of sugar, right amount of water, right amount of texture, right amount of fruitiness. I thought it had a little acid. acid. Yeah, Yeah, which was, to me, when you can get a peach that balances that great sweetness that we all love with an acidic back so that it's perfectly balanced on your palate, uh, I just think that's the best. Now, for me, when it's not that kind of a peach, I just eat it just like that. Yeah. I don't touch it. I don't do anything else. I just take the peel and the peel, by the way. Came with my finger. Right. Like it, when it's ripe like that, they just the, the fuzzy skin just peels right off. Right off. No. So it's uh, bravo to Jackie for growing delicious peaches. And I'm very sorry. And some other <laughs> ding dong is enjoying the other tree. But these are delicious. Bravo. So in the same vein, but my taste of the week is a pet peeve. I know that's shocking to you. No. But I do too. This happened in my own restaurant. I, you know, we, we grow this beautiful fruit yeah. and they put it like, you know, they'll make a cantaloupe salad or they'll make a, a peach and feta or they'll do a peach galette for dessert or something like that, which is beautiful. I love it. But I went and I had a breakfast and I had a fruit cup for my breakfast uh, along with uh, an omelet. Let me guess. You had like... In my own companies, in my own restaurant, Bananas. fruit cup... Was California grapes. No. Hawaiian pineapple. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Worse, worse, the worst thing in my mind that could have happened, I had an unripe California strawberry. <sighs> and uh, I guess you had a good morning. Well, I, uh, yeah, we had some words. But it was everything I despise about... Uh, off-season fruit or in-season fruit from other places when we have so much beautiful produce right now in our own state, I mean, in our we own have city, and from our own farm. <laughs> I just picked a bunch of blueberry at Wood Creek Blueberry Farm with Jay and Jane yeah. two days ago. I mean, it's the end of the season. I get it, but... It was just somebody not thinking. <laughs> no, it wasn't like the fruit was bad. It was perfectly fine, except for the unripe strawberry. But why? We have time to use that all winter long. This is why everyone needs to walk through a farmer's market this time of year to be reminded of what's local and what's in season. You owe it to yourself. You don't have to buy anything. Go walk the farmer's market. See what's local and seasonal right now. It will give you ideas of what's in season and what you should be having right now. God, our Hannah's Choice cantaloupes right now are just the bomb. I, I don't want anything else in my fruit cup but that. Right. Yeah. It makes a perfect salad on the yeah. dinner menu. Why aren't we putting it in our? And there's cup? still plenty of watermelon and, and there's plenty, plenty of, of Hannah's Choice melons. Yeah. So anyway, that was my little pet peeve at my own company. 
today and uh well that's a message for everyone that's a message for everyone just think a little bit before i saw them this morning at ballard market a whole big case of driscoll strawberries from california it's like there's so much good local fruit right now don't do it walk up to the microphone right now and say i'm not gonna do it i'm buying local let's start uh, with some tomato recipes tomato recipes when we come back on cairo radio it's the hot stove society show 97.3 fm Here we are. We're in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society. This is uh, Chef Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And uh, it is time to talk tomatoes because they Tomato. are starting to... Tomatoes. Tomato. They're starting to come in fast and furious. You know, we had such a rough start to our green bean and uh, tomato season over at the farm, our farm, uh, because of that heat spell. It just knocks all the existing flowers off and all the small fruits off. And so you have to wait for another whole bloom of of that growth uh, in order to get your next crop. So it puts everything back three or four weeks. And as I was reminded this week when I went blueberry picking um, at Wood Creek's uh, farm with Jen Jen, they reminded me that the reason there is uh, less fruit this year and shorter season is also because not only was it cold, but the bees could not come out because it was too cold, so they ah, couldn't so pollinate. They couldn't pollinate, yeah. So, I mean, something you don't even think about, but, oh, yeah, there's another product in this involved. Yes. You know, and, and so that's what the fruit season is. Well, if they were really dedicated, they would go out and take a Q-tip and self-pollinate all their blueberry flowers. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah, that would be be a serious job. So, Pamela, you put this down because you love tomatoes. What is your favorite way to uh, have a raw tomato? I love them with... Generous amounts of flake salt, the best olive oil you can find, and tossed with a very crunchy cucumber. Doesn't that sound delicious? And what herbage? Aren't you going to put some herbage in there? No. Just salt and just cucumber? No cheese? Maybe no herbage. some uh, How about little, balsamic? little crouton of fresh fried baguette? No, she doesn't mm, want anything. She just yeah. wants cucumber and... This is, I asked her, I don't know if you remember that, Chef, but I asked <laughs> How about you, Chef? What would you like? <laughs> I, just made a, I just made a very similar salad last night with olives. I like olives, so I added olive and feta and um, lots of basil from the garden and some tarragon. <coughs> and I like tarragon this year more than ever. I know, it's come up for you a couple times. Because there. I've discovered that um, adding, you know, basil in, in a lot of cases especially when you mix it in a salad in julienne, even if you put quite a bit. It's this year, particularly for me, the first year, then, oh, basil is a little bit weak. It's not as strong as it, in basil flavor as it normally is. So by adding tarragon, I'm balancing out the flavor of that and adding you know, similar idea of flavor. Mm-hmm. And tarragon, does not, it's not weak. So you, know, you just put a few leaves in there, and then you add it to your salad, and it picks it up. So that's why I'm, I'm putting a little tarragon with my basil. But... Olive, I mean, tomato, I, I eat tomato every time I can when they're ripe, because I love tomato. I think it's a, it's a fruit, then, fruit slash vegetable, and I could eat every single day. Okay. Uh, do you, would you want to know my favorite? Yes, please. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I'm going to go back to the baguette that you were talking about, uh-huh. uh, and I'm going to char it hard on the grill. Well, we're cooking, I thought we were using no, cold. No, no, no. We're using raw tomato. Okay. But I'm going to char it hard on the grill, uh-huh. and then I'm going to take a clove of garlic, a whole clove of garlic, and I'm going to rub it on that crunchy char sure. so that the bread kind of scrapes a little bit of the garlic sure. meat off, but not a lot. It's just the essence of yeah. garlic. And then I love it, a tapas bar in Spain, 
where you get penantumket. Oh, uh, yeah. You remember that? Yeah. And you take your the ripest raw tomatoes yeah, that yeah. you have, and you simply you scrape, rub it. Yeah. You don't put it. slices on. Right. You simply rub it, and all that juice and seedy stuff comes out, and some of the meat comes off, and you have tomato toast. Right. And that, uh, I have, in, in the next segment, I'll talk about my cooked version of that, but... Um, that, to me, is the essence of freshness. You know what's good on that? Anchovies. Yeah, that, to me, that would overwhelm the tomato toast. But that's um, okay. I mean, it's just, that would be more of a focus on the anchovies. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Makes the other sense. thing I like to do uh, with raw tomatoes is a lot of times this time of year you have more than you can use. And sometimes they get a little past their slicing stage. Uh-huh. So I, um, I don't puree them, but I... I kind of really chop crush, them because if I puree them, you end up with sauce. Right. What I want to do is just crush them, and then I put it over a fine sieve strainer, and I let all the juice drip through, and you end up with uh, almost a clear pinkish water, right. which we call tomato water. Yeah. And it is the biggest surprise for people when they come to your house for a little summer dinner to get like a little tomato water martini. And I don't drink vodka a lot, but if you if you want the alcohol, I would use vodka, say, instead of gin, right. because it's a neutral spirit. And so right. what you're really after is the essence of the tomato. And it came up in the class I was teaching yesterday. Here's a woman, I was having her make a pico de gallo, and she thought she should squeeze all the seeds and the juice out of the tomato and then just use... You know, what you're doing is you're literally squeezing the flavor out right. and leaving the cellulose of the plant there, right? So... Uh, you're you're wasting the best part. So if you don't want the seeds and stuff, just put it through a strainer and you know rub it with a rubber spatula and just get the juice. That is literally tomato flavor. Uh, which that is, so many people are just flushing down yeah, the drain. Which is also when I make tomato salad, usually you know like if I, I'm going to cut some tomato, ripe tomato mixed with cucumber. We were talking about like a Greek kind of idea. I put I put no just a little bit of squeeze of lemon mm-hmm. and then olive oil. Salt and pepper. That's the only seasoning I put in there. And the reason I do that is because I know the tomatoes are going to start rendering their water. And that water becomes a dressing. And there is always quite a good amount of dressing that gets formed from that because the tomato renders all that water. But this is all beautiful flavor. I mean, that, that dressing on the bottom, which is olive oil, salt, pepper, and water. Uh-huh. Tomato, tomato water. water. Yeah. And you take your grilled bread in there? Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's when you make a panzanella salad. Oh. Yeah, it's just the best. It's just the best. Yeah. If you, especially if you add a little dash of Dijon mustard. Oh. <laughs> we're back to the fake French accent from the French guy. And we're back to the Dijon mustard. Yeah. We can't get through a segment uh, without it. I, I want to go back to my martini a little bit. You've got this beautiful up martini in a martini glass. Uh, one ounce of vodka, and it will, however more you fill it is all tomato water. Then you garnish it with little Johnny Jump Ups. And a lot of times, you can find them in the cracks of your sidewalk, little Johnny Jump Ups. It's yeah. funny. Just make sure it's not on a dog run. I would um, prefer it to be in a pot in my backyard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, another idea for that is that tomato pulp that you have where you squeeze that water from. Mm-hmm. You put it in an ice cube tray in only half fill. So this small ice cube, not very high. Mm-hmm. So you have this tomato... Um, paste tomato, ice. tomato yeah. ice and then you put that into your martini to keep it cold <laughs> as a garnish yeah with the Johnny Jump Ups in it mm-hmm. oh man it's pretty and it's also it's 100% tomato flavor huh. so it keeps the flavor and it keeps it cold the whole time you're drinking your nice. martini good call chef yeah. yeah it's good and then of course at the end you're drinking that little diminished cube of tomato <laughs> mm. the diminished cube yeah, 
<laughs> Pam is laughing because I'm making the gesture of like <laughs> testing a little cube of tomato. Do you ever make a raw tomato sauce for pasta in the summertime? I mean, we all know that, uh, and no. we'll talk about tomato sauce, fresh tomato sauce in the next segment, but a raw tomato. So it's a little bit like... Um, I've made cook, but I've never made it's raw. It's like a chunky gazpacho almost, right. in, a, in, a, right. in a way. But it's just, again, it's just the olive oil, the tomatoes. They do exactly the same thing without right. the heat. Or you just let the, the warmth of the pasta warm the right. tomatoes. Now, right? I've done that. I've done diced raw tomato right. into my pasta. Yeah. just But not as, as a sauce. I haven't done it, but... I can see how, I mean, it would Be totally easy. work. Yeah, it would totally yeah. work, and, yeah, and yeah. the pasta is plenty hot. Remember, uh, salt, pepper, and olive oil on tomato goes a very, very, very long way. Yeah. You don't need much more than that in most cases. And garlic, on the gentle side, is also something that's really nice. Mm-hmm. So, and if you, if you don't want the harshness of raw garlic, just uh, <coughs> uh, slice it up and give it a three-second blanch in boiling right. water, and it takes right. the bitterness right out of it, and just throw it right in and... It's almost like raw garlic, but it's, it's much more mild. Right. Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk cooking tomatoes in the next segment. If you hate tomatoes, this is probably not your show. <laughs> but, uh, if you hate tomatoes, throw the rotten one. I swear, us. after this segment, we'll leave tomatoes alone for a while. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Hey, it's the Hot Stove Society Show. Thanks for joining us here. We're happy to be here at the Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle. If you ever want to come join us, uh, we sell tickets to the show uh, on uh, hotstovesociety.com. 30 bucks, you get your breakfast, hot coffee. And it's summertime, so it's a good time to come downtown yeah. and do a little staycation for a weekend. And yeah. start your day on Friday morning at the show. Hang out with, then, the, uh, with the radio crew. Yeah, hang out with us and, you know... Sunday afternoon, uh, Friday afternoon, take the ferry, go to Manbridge and have a cocktail and come back and have dinner here at Lolo and then... Dream day. There you go. There you go. Uh, tomatoes. We've been uh, discussing how to deal with them in a raw state. Let's talk a little bit about cooking tomatoes. And, and uh, I'll go off on one thing that I hate what people do. And I see this when I'm in Scotland or Ireland or places like that. Every breakfast comes with a very unripe, cut in half, Roma tomato that's been broiled. Yeah. And I remember in very fancy hotels when I was uh, learning how to cook way back when at the Hotel DuPont, or it, it seemed to be the norm, it's very continental, to get a half-broiled tomato. Sometimes it might have a little breadcrumb on top. But you're lucky if you get breadcrumb. A lot of times it doesn't, and it's just like... That's actually, I, if you get breadcrumb, you're fortunate. I hate cooked tomatoes like that. I, I absolutely hate them. So let's not do that. Okay, <laughs> Chef, you go. I'm, I'm with you. For me, tomato, um, first thing I'm going to think about is cut them and make a wonderful sauce, like a stew. Tomato stew is what I call it, which usually starts with olive oil, diced onion, fresh thyme, oregano, and then tomato diced. And I keep the water on the side. I keep the, all the juice that gets generated when I slice my tomato and the extra juice. I keep that on the side for a little bit later in the story. But I, I, I put the onion, I sweat the onions a little bit, then I add the tomato and it's usually high heat, and I saute that quickly. Then I put in um, fresh herbs, basil, because it's usually in the same time of the year. Basil, again, a little tarragon. Finish that, cracked pepper, a little bit of salt, and then I put the juice back into that with a dash of white wine. Mm-hmm. And then I turn it down and simmer it very gently. So the pieces stay together, but, don't, but they cook down. 
and it doesn't take very long. It takes maybe. So what are you going to use that on? So I can use that on so many different things. Like okay. we were talking about grilled bread earlier. I love country grilled bread, like a good Skagit Valley bread, sliced, grilled with a little bit of olive oil and garlic, and then put that tomato around top. It's like a, it's like the, the it's like the pizza started. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I think that's how pizza started. It started with a slice of loaf of bread and then. Got more creative. But anyway. You heard our friends at Shepherd's Grain burnt down, did you? You hear that? No. Yeah. So sad up there. They're looking for a new facility now, but yeah, their facility burnt Oh, I'm so sorry to to hear that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so that's the base. And then the the other part is I also can that. I put those in jars because in the winter, when you don't know what to cook and you want a breath breath of summer after three weeks of rain and cloudy days... Mm There's nothing more beautiful than just fresh pasta, quickly. I mean, that's a 30-minute that's a dinner. At the Fresh most, pasta yeah. and sausage cooking on the side. And then you take that sauce, you drop it on the tomato after the pasta is cooked and drained with a little bit of juice of the pastas left in there. And then you put your sausage diced or whole next to it. You get a wonderful dinner and it's, with a salad on the side. It's fantastic. I'm a whole sausage guy, just by the way. If you're serving me dinner... Okay. I like to cut my own. Okay. You feel like you're a big guy enough to cut your no, own sausage? No, it's just funny. I just don't like chunks of sausage. <laughs> if I want chunks of something, I'll put a meatball in or something. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I like I'm a, kind I like of with a you. grilled sausage a whole. Or I love making the little rings of sausage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, cooked tomatoes. Pamela, do you have a favorite uh, way to cook tomatoes that you use in your house? I love them stewed with a charred eggplant. I like that combination flavor. Of the burnt. <laughs> Tom's making a face of disbelief. Um, He's like, they were anytime you use the word stewed and eggplant in the same dish, doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> I, I love what those two do together. Uh-huh. So that's my fa- at this time of year, right. especially. So if if I was to, I mean, I'm kind of on Tom's uh, line on this one. <laughs> if I was to do eggplant, I would grill my eggplant char outside on the grill. I would di- cool them off, dice them off, and then add and them at the sauce at the last minute. I'm or you can change my technique. Well, the, if you're going to do that, and which I totally agree, is just cut them in rounds, uh, maybe a half inch thick. Give them a hard char, literally until they blacken on the grill, and then cut your tomatoes in half and do the same thing. Yeah, char your on tomato a super hot grill and give your because t- tomatoes have a lot of sugar in them. Give them a char, and now you've got with fresh herbs. And hold big, up to the grill. You think? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, with lots of flat leaf parsley or things like that, now you have this beautiful kind of charred... All that cilantro that's going to seed, all that... Uh, zucchini works beautiful in that yeah, mix. Yeah, zucchini, yeah. You could do a summer beautiful squash. Mediterranean salad. And I just said zucchini and summer squash, and you know how much I love it. <laughs> this, this is a big day. <laughs> but then you garnish that with fried capers and, you know... Fried capers, yes. Have you ever fried capers? No, but that's a great idea. It's a idea. simple thing to do. It's you just a very put a simple pot thing. of olive oil on the stove, get it to... Um, 325 or so. And you can tell just by splashing just a little bit of water in there. Just dry your capers on paper towel first. Yeah, or else you'll boil over your, your olive oil. But, yeah, just throw your capers in, and they literally pop. They literally kind of explode, and, and it's a nice garnish for a vegetable salad like that. What a great idea. Do they get crunchy? Yep. Or? Oh, yeah. Okay. Depending on how long you leave them in, but you, yeah. you have to be I want patient. the crunch. You have to be patient with them. Uh, olives work a little bit like that, too. You can get those a little bit crispy. But that's a good idea. I mean, the idea of grilling the tomato and grilling the eggplant. Grilling think, the onion, you know, whatever it is. I think you're bringing an extra layer of flavor that yes. is definitely, uh, that's, that's, that's ordinary to extraordinary right there. 
I think that's taking it up a notch. You know, yeah. uh, the other night when you came to my house for dinner for my niece's birthday, I made a charred eggplant, like a spicy charred eggplant, which wasn't spicy enough. But I think in the future, for me anyway, when I'm using the big globe eggplants, I'm going to peel them because I didn't like the residual skin mm. in that salad, that spicy eggplant salad. And normally I don't ever peel eggplants. It's funny you say that because uh, I remember I told you I did a Moroccan dinner the other day, last week. Mm-hmm. And I did exactly that. I did an eggplant salad and I peeled the eggplant because I had three globe eggplant to cook. Mm-hmm. And I peeled them and it was fantastic. Yeah. It was a... F- it was a big, huge difference in terms of flavor and in terms of when you're eating it. Texture, yeah. Much more yeah. appealing to me because I did not overcook them. I grilled them like we just talked about. Uh-huh. Actually, I salt them first and I pat them dry and I olive oil, grill them and then I dice them and put that into my salad. And it was so delicious. I mean, we had that for like, and I made a big batch. So I had that for like three, four days. Well, going back to tomatoes... When, when you don't want the peel on your tomatoes, I think people don't realize how easy they are to uh, take a ripe tomato, pop it into boiling water for 15 to 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, just use your spider, you know, your little strainer, pull them back out, put them on a pit towel or something, and then your peel will come off super easy. Yeah. And you don't end up when you're making a cooked tomato sauce with all that stringy uh, skin right. in the tomato sauce. And it, it seems like, God, do I really have to do that? And Jackie made fresh tomato sauce the other night without doing that, and it was perfectly fine. Right. It is, it is something, though, if you want a very smooth sauce. Right. If you look at canned tomatoes, when you open the can, they're all peeled. Correct. They don't come with the skin on. Right. Uh, and that's what gives you that smoothness in your sauce. Yeah, I think they use big, giant steam bath. You just <laughs> run them through it in, like, 10 seconds and come out on the other side, and there's a guy who's going like this. I don't think there's anybody twisting that skin off. I think, <laughs> I think there's a machine involved. Something tells me. Uh, you know, I'm concerned about, um, you know, we, we make a delicious tomato sauce for our pizza uh-huh. at Serious Pie, and we make it every day. I mean, hundreds of gallons a, a month. Uh, and, you know, they're talking about no tomatoes in California because of all the drought. The drought. Yeah. Well, and, the tomato, and the tomatoes here are a little bit late, too. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, but this is going to affect next year's crop. Right, because they're right. canning now Correct. for next year's crop, right? Or next year's. And this is not going to go can. away. This is going to get worse every year, probably. The tomato, in, I mean, the drought in California is not going away. No, it doesn't seem like it. No. And there's drought everywhere. Yeah. They showed pictures of the Danube. Did you see that in the oh, newspaper with the that was scary. with the German boats that they yeah. scuttled? They had to stop the 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 Danube for the first time. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. It's, uh, well, it's it's our it's our new environment. It's and our the world. dinosaur prints they find in the. Uh, Lake that's like the the level is so low, then they find dinosaur print that are exposed now. Oh, that's in Texas. I saw yeah. that too. Yeah. Okay. So when we come back, uh, we're gonna uh, have a, a minute or two on citrus peels and how to use them and where where it's fun to use them that you might not think about typically. I mean, you think about like a garnishing a drink with it or something, but there's lots of ways to use citrus peel that you might not be thinking about. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Coming back right here at the Hot Stove Society show. We're thankful that you're with us. We have so excited. Pamela is our audience of one today. <laughs> but I'm excited to you're be here. <laughs> Me too. Okay, uh, Chef Terry, uh, are you okay now? Yes, I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to get over it. Yep. Okay, I'm Tom Douglas. Chef Terry was just had a little mental a breakdown right now because uh, somebody in his life does not 
wrap their citrus when they put it in the fridge. And so... Horrors. So, and apparently neither does our producer. I know. Yeah. She gladly told me. She, well, you, like, you, looked at the, you looked at I'm us so both and you said... I'm so shocked by that. You looked at us both and you said, who does that? And then Pamela's just like, I do. <laughs> uh, citrus peels. There's so many ways to use them that you don't really think about. What We're is all about? used to doing a quick squeeze of lemon or a quick squeeze of lime or taking, you know, one big slice. I, I like a lemon peel in my martini at 5 o'clock every day. And sometimes uh, you see a lemon in there that's been in there for a week or two that just has one stripe of uh, citrus peel off. Uh-huh. And, and uh, it was uncovered. I don't know who would do that. But um, there's lots of things to do with it. And the number one thing that I think uh, is to do is I love when I'm finishing a steak or finishing a chicken uh, is to have an infused olive oil mm-hmm. to finish with. So I finish so many things with olive oil, but it's great to have an orange oil or a lemon oil or a grapefruit oil or something. Uh, grapefruit on fish pretty much only, but lemon oil is great on pork chops. Yeah. And so just take those peels. If you know you just want the juice this time, take those peels, peel them all off, put them in a little Ziploc, and put them in your freezer until you have enough to infuse a bottle of olive oil. If you look at the grocery <laughs> store for preserved lemon oil, not preserved lemon oil, just lemon oil or something like that, it's about two or three times the price than regular olive oil. And all they're doing is infusing it with lemon peel. And then we're even, throwing away. They're taking the oil of the lemon and yeah. putting it into the yeah, olive oil. exactly. So... Uh, it's an easy thing to do, and it's a fun thing to do. It's a fun little yeah. project. Uh, and you just let it sit in your fridge for a week or two, and you've got lemon oil. So, so the word is, when you take a lemon or a lime, and you're about to use it for whatever purpose you're going to use it, first thing, take your peeler, peel the skin off. Or if, you're, if you want to intensify the lemon flavor that you're looking for, right. grate it. Yeah, Put no, it in course. with the yeah, juice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Grate it or peel it, one yeah. of the two. So now you get the white pith left and you get the lemon or the lime left. Then you take the pith off and you can actually use the pith for other things. But I we like go the with, way you say pith. Isn't it how you say it? Yes, sir. Okay. And uh, take the pith and you can do some bitter for your cocktail you were talking about. But how do you an, make bitters like that? So, you, I so would, if you want to make a lemon bitter. So I would take the, uh, all the, the white of the lemon, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you skin your... your pith. Your le- <laughs> thank you. The pith of the lemon. And you can actually... If you segment your, your lemon, mm-hmm. take segment a, a lemon or an orange or citrus, is when you cut the meat of the citrus in between the uh, membrane mm-hmm. that are separating each one. So you cut the meat off, now you get raw meat of citrus. The pith is the white on the outside, but the inside has the same kind of flavor. It's more intensifying lemon, but it's got also very strong bitter. Mm-hmm. You take all this... And you squeeze it, and you could take a little bit of vodka. Or I was say, is it just alcohol that you add to that? Just or? a little bit of alcohol uh-huh. that you add to that, not too much. And then you can do fresh herbs if you want. You can do uh, thyme would be a good one to add to that. So you have lemon, thyme, and uh, vodka, and you let it macerate. You will end up with something very bitter in the end uh-huh. with, of course, some alcohol. But this could be a bitter you could add to. You're making a vodka martini. Mm-hmm. You just do a, vodka marti- a lemon vodka martini. Um, so that's the white, the meat. Obviously, you use it for garnishes or for whatever you're using it. And then the peel, <coughs> another thing you can do, if you don't want to do the Ziploc in the freezer or whatever, put it in sugar. It's very simple. Take your lemon peel. You know, you're making one for your cocktail and ten, you have 10 extra left. Put that into a sugar bowl, into a sugar jar, 
and then keep that jar, and you'll, you'll have lemon sugar. Right. So next time you, you do you do a tart or you do a, yeah. a cake or whatever, you sprinkle a little bit of that sugar at the end before you take it out of the oven, two minutes before you take it out of the oven. You sprinkle that sugar on top of your cake and you put it back in the oven for two minutes. The sugar is going to melt and give you that lemony flavor on top of your cake. The other thing you do with that very same peel, whether it's orange or lemon or grapefruit or citron or something, you take that and you cook it for maybe five minutes in a simple syrup, which is one-to-one right. sugar right. to water. Right. And then you pull it out of the simple syrup and you roll it in granulated sugar or sure. something. And now you've got a delicious little candied orange peel. And I love taking those and then chopping them in the bits. Like if I'm not the biggest fan of chocolate chip cookies. They're a little bit boring to me unless they're perfect. And so if when I love them with a little bit of diced uh, uh, orange peel, <laughs> candied orange peel, or candied lemon peel. I just think it adds a tremendous <clears throat> amount of interest to the cookie. Yeah. Especially shortbreads, you know, things of that nature. So. And you can take those orange peel, same thing, and you can dip them in chocolate, like a bittersweet chocolate, dark chocolate. Mm-hmm. Do that as a gift. Put it in a bag and give that as a gift for Christmas or whatever. Birthday party or whatever, and... It makes for, and it's a very inexpensive, it's just work. I mean, it's you, you have orange peel and you have chocolate and sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's not a very expensive item to make, but it's very nice to have gifts like that. And they're delicious, little orangette. Mm-hmm. I think that you can do that also with, um, if you take white wine, and I think the recipe for this is in um, Seattle Kitchen, maybe Big Dinners, I don't remember. Big Dinners. Uh, and you make your own Bianco. Like, you know, sometimes it's a store you can see Martini and Rossi Bianco. Right, or right, right. There's a version of vermouth that's a little bit less herbaceous. Most sweet. And it's a, but it's, it's just meant to be poured over rocks, over ice, and have a refreshing Bianco in the summertime. And all you got to do is you, I like to buy um, a good white wine, not, right. not like a white burgundy or something, but a good, oh. a good Vermentino or just something that is... For some reason, I, th- I like white, cheap white, Gavi de Gavi, some sort of white wine. And I pour out an ounce to make sure it's delicious. And I simply <laughs> just put a sprig of rosemary, a sprig of sage, and two or three lemon peels into the bottle and then cork it back up. Right. And I let it sit on the counter for a day and then it goes into the fridge. And now you have a little refreshing Bianco or a little aperitif wine right. uh, that you wouldn't ever have thought about to use a citrus peel for. So. There's so many things. Yeah, and then also, you know, earlier I said you put the peel in sugar. You can also put them in salt. You can season your salt. You can season, I mean, lemon or lime or orange are very strong. The, the oil content is very intense. In the skin, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, you know, using those skins in flavoring is so easy. I mean, you said olive oil, then we sell sugar, then we say salt. I mean... You know, you can use it in so many different places. Freezer bag, I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I... I always have a bag for all the bones and all the vegetable leftovers, um, peels and all that stuff in my freezer. I mean, I have. Yeah, I have I a lot of you, chef. that stuff. I believe you. And then I'm going to take a big pot and make a big stock and put that in quart container and have homemade stock. There you go. So the lesson of the day on citrus peel is, don't throw them away. Well, try not to. I mean, obviously, I throw some away. You should yeah, yeah. throw some away. But there's so many things to do with it and. Uh, whatever we can do to use up that whole piece of fruit would be awesome. Uh, we've got a, one more full hour to go here at the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, and it's going to be chock full of rice salads and uh, 
Washington Farmland Trust. And, of course, we're going to finish up with the uh, Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge at the end of the show. I wonder if Pam's going to play today. I don't know. Don't know. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio at the Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. We are thrilled to be here with you. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Happy to be here for a second hour. We have a, a rice salad segment coming up. We've got Melissa Campbell from Washington Farmland Trust to tell us about how to help save uh, the land that we love here, the farmland of Washington. And um, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia is on the docket. Looking forward to that. Uh, you know, our technical producer, Sean McFadden, has... Uh, uh, has decided to jump in the fray here, so uh, I'm looking forward to knocking him down a notch because he's such uh, an egomaniacal kind of guy. It's not even close. Constantly just like in my face. <laughs> as, he's like, the sweetest wrong guy with ever. You? Blah, blah, blah. No, he is the nicest and guy. And he's a great cook. And he's a great cook, so we could be in trouble, chef. I, uh, I think we are always in trouble no matter what. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with a little trash talk. That's right. That's right. It gets the... The mood set up right off the bat exactly. and uh, puts everybody on their toes. Uh, let's trash talk about rice salad. You know, uh, I put one, my, one of my old mentors, Steven Steinbach, who was uh, uh, one of the guys influential in my cooking career, uh, he always made rice salads, and I, I loved them. But you don't see them very often. No. Uh, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, like if they are big in France, or if they're big in Spain or something. I just... But I just don't remember I think they're bigger them. in France, for Are sure. Are they? Yeah. So for a rice salad, in my uh, second book, Tom's Big Dinners, I have a hazelnut rice salad with parsley and artichokes. And the key on this is just you know work your magic on the fresh artichokes because using canned ones just doesn't... I mean, I like, them, I like canned artichokes, but I, when they're in season and you have the time to prep them, the baby artichokes make great uh, artichoke quarters for your rice salad. And then toasted hazelnuts that are peeled. So let's talk for... And parsley, lots and lots of parsley. Let's talk about the rice first. Okay. What kind of rice do you use? I use basmati rice. Yeah. So it's a little bit long grain. Um, you don't want to use a borio or no. bomba rice. No. That paella or risotto kind of rice. Yeah. And you don't want to use nico nico, which is a rice that right. I, I love. I make fried sticky. rice out of that all the time, but it's too sticky. Yeah. So some long grain like texmati or basmati or... Jasmine or yeah. something like that is a good place to start, and then just cook it, right? Yeah, just cook it like in your rice cooker, like you were going to put it on the dinner table, and then spread it out on a sheet pan. You want to try to not to make sure you don't overcook it. So that's important because you're going to end up with this pasty mouthfeel. That's not going to be very attractive. Yeah, you want it to have texture. Left. Right, you yeah. want to still have a little texture to it. And remember, you're going to add a lot of salad dressing. Rice Correct. salad, like pasta salad, it's takes a moist. lot of dressing. Yeah, it's going to swallow a lot of the moisture and. It's going to get wet, so mm-hmm. you want to make sure it's not overcooked and pasty. Yeah. And so I take the rice, just like I said, simply cooked. I put a, I put a piece of uh, plastic wrap on the cookie sheet because rice like that tends to get sticky mm-hmm. and wants to stick to everything it touches, including the spoon you're stirring with. Uh, so I just put it on that, spread it out, pop it in the fridge. If you talk to the health department, and I think people think that rice isn't as volatile like beans, right, it's, as it is. It's... Those are the kind of things that really cause problems in the kitchen when exactly. they sit out too long. Right. Mainly because they're full of starch, yeah. change into sugar, and then that turns into fermentation. Mm-hmm. 
So that's all the bacteria starts forming. And that's, that's what is, makes it so dangerous. Same with beans, same with anything, potatoes. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to leave those warm at, at room temp for a long time. Right. So just take that, put it in the fridge, cool it off, and you want it to be cold when you start. So one thing that Unless I, you're going to eat it right away, then I'd one, like to just go warm. One thing I do, Tom, is at, this is when I take olive oil and I drizzle it over my rice and I fork it just like I would a, a couscous or whatever mm-hmm. before I put it in the fridge. And mainly so it loosens the grains and also coats the rice with a little bit of olive oil. So that's one thing that I do. Then I put it in the fridge, let it cool off, and then take it out. And then I let it... And then start mixing it with all my goodies. Let it come back to room temperature a little I, bit, yeah. I want to mention that <clears throat> it just happens to be timely that we talk about rice salad. Two days ago when I was at the Blueberry Farm, I'm going to mention that name again, uh, Wood Creek Blueberry Farm in Monroe from Jay and Jane Mago, Magoo. And uh, Jane made a um, wonderful rice salad for lunch, which I hadn't had rice salad in quite some time. It was wonderful because it was made with peaches, and she's vegetarian. She can't have dairy. It's not she's vegetarian. She can't have dairy. So she used that, um, what I, call it, I call it fake sour cream. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's made with uh, cashew and something else. But anyway, she used that. Lots of fresh basil, um, diced onion, um, a bit of olive oil and lemon and peaches. And that was so delicious. Mm. Savory, salt, pepper, obviously. And that was so beautiful and savory and, and summery and... It was not too sweet. The peaches were actually, you know, we've been talking about peaches a lot. You know, they had that acid balance. It was absolutely gorgeous salad, mm. and I was stunned. Everything. It was, a, it was a beautiful salad. Congratulations, Jane. Now, if you wanted to take that in a little heavier direction, uh, that's, this is a good place to take the leftover rotisserie chicken that you bought. Correct. But you don't want to chunk it. In a rice salad, you want it to be shredded. You want it to be thinly sliced, you know, right. something like that. You don't want... Big chunks of chicken breast in right. there. That's just right. gross. Small dice. You can, you can go for a dice, but I'm going for a little shred. Right. The shred is a little bit like the basmati grain. Correct. You know, you mentioned couscous, and it I tickles me because how many people think couscous is a grain? And how many people know, don't I realize know, it's know, pasta? Yeah. Because it, it gets used like uh, in the same way, correct. right? Yeah, correct. Correct. Well, also, you buy it, it's dry. You don't I think know. pasta, it's so small, you don't. It, it looks like bulgur a little bit. Correct. Yeah. Um, so anyway, in a, this time of year, it's the perfect time to make a beautiful rice salad because you get all this bounty of vegetable. You know, you don't like zucchini too much, but if you grill some zucchini, we go back to the grilling of, you know, you get your barbecue on, especially when it's 90 degrees outside, you're not going to cook inside. You know, you grill your vegetable outside and you mix that with your rice into a salad, nice, easy dressing, mm-hmm. a citrus dressing. And then you get this wonderful bright salad on your hand. Mm-hmm. Lots of fresh herb at the last minute. Some people put mayonnaise in their rice salad. That's not my thing. Oh, not me. But that's, a tr- that's very common. Really? Oh, yeah. No. Pam, is it no. common? No. No? <laughs> I've seen it in many I mean, I've recipes. I've seen it in potato salad, but not in rice salad. Oh, no, no. I've seen it in many recipes. They put mayonnaise. I'm I've like, taken that very same rice, and I've made rice pudding out of it, which is one of my favorite yeah. things. I love rice pudding. But, yeah, mayo and rice salad, you're dreaming. Never seen it before. Google it up. Oh, the, the Italians love it that way. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. They put mayonnaise at the end. Why is it you hate everything Italian until they agree with you? No, 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 no. It's not I hate it. I just don't like it. It's you not my think, thing. You just think that it's, they copied the French. No, I, th- I think mayonnaise in rice salad is not my thing. It's just I like, I like a liquid dressing. Mm-hmm. Much more on the lighter side, I think. And to me, I think 
What I mean, it's you're talking about rice that's cold and cooked, right? Mm -hmm. So the vessel is is there. The rest is whatever you put in there is what's going to make the right. salad. So, so another trick on this is you put all your salad ingredients together, and you wait till about ten minutes before you're going to serve it, and then you dress it. Because if you don't, your rice just will sop up all the. It's like it's like pasta salad. Correct. It just sops up all the dressing, and it feels a little bit dry and. Uh, grated cheese is really good in rice salad. Yeah, uh, put your fresh herb at the end. Your, yeah. your basil, your parsley, your cilantro. Put all that at the end. At the one minute before you toss the whole salad, let it sit for a minute or two, and then serve it. All right, Melissa Campbell is going to join us from Washington Farmland Trust. Tell us about uh, what's going on in that world. We had her on last year at this time, and we're going to talk to her again because it's important stuff. Uh, you can learn how you're going to be able to help stay involved. It's Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. See you in a minute on 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. We're having a good old time here, but we're by ourselves today uh, because we're taping on an off day. Sad that we have no audience, but if you want to come down and hang with us on our regular taping days, uh, you're welcome to go to hotstovesociety.com. And buy a ticket and join us and hang out. Melissa Campbell is here from Washington Farmland Trust. She's the executive director. And Pamela, you are a big fan of the Washington Farmland Trust. She's been supporting it both with your time, talent, and treasure for a long time. Tell us about uh, you and your association and then... Uh, Melissa, maybe you could tell us of some funny stories about Pamela. <laughs> we need some dirt. Well, I... Um I'm a supporter of the trust because I believe that people need to pay more attention to our farmland, saving our farmlands, and remembering that without farms, we're not going to have food. Right. It's elemental. Right. Uh, I'm, it's a steep learning curve being involved in the trust, though, because their work is complicated. Mm -hmm. And it in, involves conservation easements and negotiating with a lot of stakeholders. So thank God we've got Melissa and her team because they are patient mm -hmm. and methodical and have achieved a tremendous amount of farmland preservation. And I'm going to let her talk about that. All right. A lot of I's <laughs> to dot and T's to cross. Exactly. Exactly. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for that nice introduction, Pamela. And, you know, we wouldn't be the organization we are today without the support of um, supporters and board members like you, Pamela, and support of incredible institutions here in Seattle like Tom Douglas and Hot Stove Society. So thank you all, and thanks for the opportunity to be here. Washington Farmland Trust conserves land across the state of Washington, and we also provide technical assistance for farmers who are looking for land. I think, as we all know, a large majority of our farmers currently are set to retire over the next 10 years, and we are really concerned about the next generation of farmers and helping them access land. Uh, land prices here in Washington are $15,000 an acre and incredibly out of reach for most of our new and beginning farmers. So we're kind of walking that path of um, trying to protect what's left here in Washington and create affordable land access opportunities for the new generation of farmers here in Washington. And that's no what we do at the Washington task. Farmland Trust. <laughs> so, so I would think then the biggest problem we have, which is I think the biggest problem we have on the planet everywhere, is population, I mean, the growth of population versus the land farm, or the farmland, mm. I should say, is 
I think I think I mean the chemicals is the other one, but the the population mm. is growing and growing, and less and less dirt is available because more houses are coming up. And, right. and and is this a phenomenon? How far do you go east of Washington of Seattle? I should say. How far do you go yes. to preserve land? But, yeah, th thanks for asking that question. So we've conserved land as far east as Walla Walla and as far west as Clallam County out on the Olympic Peninsula for our conservation work. Our land access work spans the entire state, and we have a coordinator on our team who supports farmers regardless of where they are in the state of Washington, providing them with technical assistance and resources um, um, through the trust or local community-based partners, um, regardless of where they are across the state. So we, various programs kind of span different geographies here in our state. And, you know, Terry, as you pointed out, yes, our communities are growing across the state. And while we, you know, we support smart growth and um, want, you know, homes for everyone, uh, where we are concerned is when there is development on prime agricultural land that has water. And that is a dwindling resource when you have prime soils and you also have water for irrigation. Um, and we believe there's a place and um, to do responsible um, development so people can have homes. And there's also a place for agriculture on those prime soils with access to water. And so that's what we're really focused on is finding those parcels that are still viable for agriculture. Predominantly, we're focused here on the west side as we look along the I-5 corridor and see the growth of our cities expanding along the I-5 corridor. But we do look across the state for opportunities to partner and support other organizations who are invested in farmland conservation as well. Just if you want to put it in perspective, just drive down I-5 and look at all the buildings in the Kent Valley that used to be yeah. farmland mm -hmm. yeah. and really rich farmland yeah. and well-watered farmland, and they're just gone. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what right. uh, Melissa is trying to yeah. To do is save some of that property for farming. Melissa, tell us about your fundraiser that's going on on the 15th of September. Thank you. I would love to. So our annual fundraising event, Love the Land, is coming up Thursday, September 15th from 530 to 830. We are host This is our first in-person event um, since COVID started in 2020. So we're thrilled to be able to welcome our community back together to support and celebrate our local farm. Um, we are going to have some incredible music with the true love. Um, uh, Angela Russell Poe, uh, Angela Poe Russell, excuse me, is going to be our MC. And we are going to welcome David Hackinson from Jubilee Farm and Annie Bailey from Bailey Farms up in Snohomish County to share their personal stories and journeys in farming. And then we will also feature our new program farm to farmer and do some storytelling around the growth of that program and the real need to support the next generation of farmers um, and looking for land. So we'd love it if you could join us. Our goal is to raise $200,000 um, through this event and tickets are on sale now and you can find tickets at wafarmlandtrust.org events and love the land. Um, so tickets are $125. We're going to have incredible swag bags and um, hope you all can join us. Well, I mean, you can't really, if you're a foodie and you're listening to this show, you can't really do much better with your 125 than guaranteeing that our, we'll have great agricultural land in the future. Preservation of the land. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sorry, did you say where the event was? It's at the Center for Urban Horticulture at the University of Washington, okay. which is right next to the UW Farm. I just went to a 70th or uh, 75th birthday party there for somebody, and uh, what a nice, nice, sweet little spot that is. Yeah. Yeah. 
It just fits yeah. the, the mission so well to be mm-hmm. near the farm and outdoors. It's going to be lovely. Uh, and Melissa, just so that uh, so everyone knows, 125 bucks September 15th. Uh, uh, but go back for one second, and in a 30 seconds or a minute synopsis, tell us how you make the transaction with a farmer who's ready to retire. They're 65 years old, been farming forever. This is their nest egg, which is their land. How do you make right. that transaction? A multi-year process, really, and it begins with building relationships and trust in the community. And so when we have a farmer who's ready to sign up, we um, we do an appraisal and we evaluate the developable ability, developability of that land and the agricultural value. And we pay them for that difference of those two values to ensure they are paid a fair market value for forever protecting their land. It provides a nice nest egg to them as they anticipate retirement. And it also ensures that the farmland is stays agriculture forever. So the farmer gets paid. The land gets protected. There's a series of real estate uh, appraisals and agreements and legal conversations in the mix. But all told, it's about a three-year process by the time we line up funding, by the time we find agreements to getting to closing. So it's a, and even before that, like I mentioned, just a long road in building relationships and trust in communities. And as Pamela said, it's a complex process. So we want to make sure we're working side-by-side side with our farmers so they are aware of the process and the timeline and all the components. And to date, we've conserved over 3,200 acres and over 30 farms, and we've got many more in our pipeline here in Western Washington Protect, and we get calls every day to do more work here in Washington. And, of course, then the hard part begins. you got to find young farmers who want to get on the land, right? That's, so. that's, that's got to be, right. be the hardest challenge is to find young people who want to dedicate themselves to that life. That's right. And we know uh, we're aware of and we talk to farmers who are interested in farming, people who come from wonderful training programs like up at Viva Farms or through the WSU program. So there are people who want to farm. Accessing land is the number one barrier of new farmers due to affordability and providing um, and having access to longer term leases. And so that really helps people get their feet on the ground and be able to start investing in their business and in the land. So that's the barrier that we're we're down. We've been talking with uh, Washington Farmland Trust Executive Director Melissa Campbell. Thank you for joining us. We're going to jump into peaches and plums when we come back on Cairo 97.3 FM. Thank you, Melissa. And we're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. We're joined in the studio today by Pamela, our producer, and Sean, our technical director. And uh, we're going to talk peaches and plums because, uh, again, uh, from our particular farm, we're getting just the most gorgeous Santa Rosa plums right now. They're so, I'm so used to plums just not having a whole lot going on. Oh, these are plums. <laughs> these are really something. And they're tart, this is, they're um, sweet, they're beautiful third or fourth year and the bakery uh, turns about uh, 400 pounds of this into jam for lola for the next few months mm. uh, to serve on our toast in the morning i must say they are scrumptious they have a, an incredible plum flavor which yeah. the, the one you're talking about is probably the italian plum which you find everywhere i mean on sidewalks everywhere yeah. in the city and it's true that they do have high water content not quite as much depth in the flavor mm-hmm. so it's a little bit uh, but these are these are the Santa Rosa these variety. These are why you would and, love uh, We only have one of these trees, but it's very productive. Yeah, it's um, beautiful. Pamela, when you uh, you brought in a, a peach and plum cake that uh, I'm assuming you made out of Jackie's uh, stone fruit that she yep. brought over. 
And you came in with this disastrous look on your face and a sign that really was a commentary on your negativity, uh, which you called your cake an utter failure. Yes. And I've been watching Chef Terry over here eat slice after slice, <laughs> saying, this is delicious, this is delicious. Exactly. I can't believe you said that. This is delicious. <laughs> it is. And I know, I'm just saying it like you, because... I said it. I didn't say it like that quite. quite. <laughs> uh, anyway, so what happened? Why do you think it's bad? And what do you... Th- what Chef Terry, uh, I'm assuming, is going to have an idea of how to fix what you don't like about it. I had a vision of that um, very moist, almost oily um, yellow cake in in my brain. So uh, if I were to put a picture to it, like a pineapple up, upside down base yes, cake? Yes, more, more like that. More sweet? Uh, sweet and, and... More like an olive oil cake. And like so what is the base of this cake? It tastes nutty to me. Well, the um, seasonings they called for were all fall, like uh, cardamom, cinnamon, nutmeg. Um, I had cinnamon, and it has a little Chinese 12 spice from Rub with Love in the batter. But uh, you were supposed to do that step of creaming your warm butter um, and getting it fluffy with the egg and the sugar and then add the flour mixture. Did you do that? Yes, and the recipe said... um, be warned because it's going to be a very stiff dough and um it was stiff into a spring form pan and then just the sliced peaches and um, plums on top and it was a call for 70 minutes at 350 oh. and i think it just got dried out no so i don't i don't think so Personally, i don't think i think, I think that's think exactly is, what they want i think the cake is delicious and i yeah. think they're probably going for that uh, sh- chef, so you hear what she's saying. She wants this to turn out more moist. So, but you don't want to wreck the recipe while you're doing this, right? Because the whole top two thirds of the cake is perfectly delicious. So, in your eggs, butter, sugar mixture after it's fluffed up, before you put the flour in, add a three tablespoon of olive oil. Whoa! You'll have the most beautiful, moist, greasy finger cake you're looking yes, for. Yes, that's three <laughs> tablespoons only. Yeah, that's enough to make a difference. How much in this. flour you have in here? Uh, I think it was cup and three quarters. Okay, four, four tablespoons. You don't need that much to... I mean, you look at your cake. There is, you're not that far off in terms of what you're looking for. All you need to do is add some fat. So butter... And so the fat won't... Um, so just to play devil's advocate sure. a little bit, uh, the fat won't throw off the base mixture enough to worry about where it might separate or it might... No, not if you mix it when you... If you mix it... Once you've mixed your sugar, your eggs, and your... Once you've creamed it. Once you've creamed all that, you add your olive oil and you cream it into it. It will be incorporated. And then the flour is going to bind the whole thing together. So that's why you do the flour at the end. I am going to try again because I'm, I'm craving but, and that if you flavor. Don't, yeah. If you want to go a different way, you can just take some butter, melt it down. Not hot, but melt it. I mean, melt, it, melt the butter down, clarified basically, and then pour it. When it's just room temp, not 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 hot, into your batter after you mix your sugar and your eggs together, you'll have the same same thing. You'll have a buttery dough. Thank you. So, does this have any dairy in it at all? But just the butter. So, uh, so just the butter, right? So, to me, I would use sour cream instead. Mm-hmm. I would just take a half a cup or even more, three quarters of a cup of sour cream, and uh, stir that into your uh, flour and and butter mixture, and I think the that'll th- give you plenty of fat. The thing of the sour cream, though, you're gonna have, it's going to take longer to cook. 
because sour cream is very wet. Mm-hmm. So that's the, uh, the difference between putting fat versus putting sour cream. Sour cream is fat too, but it's got lots of water content, so it's going to take longer to cook. <coughs> you might have a cake a bit raw in the middle. Not raw, but you know how it gets really wet in the middle? You might have that phenomenon with the sour cream. But again... So what else could you use in that scenario? You could just use mascarpone, which is basically drained cream. sour cream, right? right. Uh, right. Essentially, so that might cream be a better... Fresh. Cream cheese might work. Creme fraiche is good because it's got acid to it. Um, I love the tang of creme fraiche. It's got the tang, you know, so you could get that into that. This is plenty sweet. So, in those plums are very, very sweet and the peach too. So, I mean, I think, I I don't know why you would call this a failure. This is not a failure. I mean, I've seen failure that does not look like that. What did you get this out of? Because it's not in my book. (laughs) It was a Martha Stewart recipe. You should say, I've cooked every recipe in that book. Do you think peaches and plums uh, lend themselves to crumbles and, and crisps, or are, they, oh, yeah. or are they too juicy? No. That's what crisp is all about. That's what I love about a crisp. Is it just it's, the fruitiness it's fruit, of it? stewed, and the topping. Yeah. It's all about, the, you know, you make a good topping. and You know, to me, on a crisp or a, or a galette, you know, where you just kind of fold the side of the pie dough up, almost always, to me, I think the instinct for... People is to serve it, you know, before it cools down out of the oven, and and uh, it's always hasn't set yet, right. right? Because you have to let the pectin, the natural pectin of the fruit, work. Sometimes people add a little cornstarch or a little flour. You have to let that work, correct? And if you don't bring it up to a where the, it's bubbling a little bit, that's not going to incorporate your flour. Is going to never gonna do its cooked. job. Yeah. It's not going to be cooked. It's again. I know it's against instinct, but cook your tart or your whatever that is, in the morning. Jackie and I fight about this all the time. She always wants to put it in right when we sit down for dinner so it comes out hot. Well, it just doesn't have time to it's set. It's so much better if you just flash it in the oven Yeah. after it's been cooked for a long time. You flash it. Heat. People are afraid or they don't. A lot of people at home don't get that concept of rewarming stuff like we do in many other places. You let your goods rest. You let them be. And then you warm it up in the oven at 350 degrees for two minutes. Yeah. A galette is going to take two minutes. And it's going to be warm. But it's already done its work <laughs> in, Correct. The, in the morning. It's already set. It's already ready to go. And it doesn't reliquify then Correct. when you go to warm it back up. And you'll keep it's that a common crispiness. mistake. It's a very yeah. common mistake, I think. Yeah. And it's the same way when you cut into a hot pie right out of the oven. And, oh, it's just soup, right? Your peaches haven't set or anything like that. Cherry pie, same thing. It's just soup. And until it cools off and does all its work. Think about a loaf of bread. When Correct. you pull a hot loaf of bread out of the oven, if you cut it right away, what happens? Paste. It's paste in the center because your knife tears at it. It's, it's just gross. It, part of the cooking process is the four or five hours that it takes to cool down. Correct. And that's all part of the cure on that bread. So it's the same thing with a crisp or a crumble. Or yeah, the recipe does not stop when you take it out of the oven. The recipe stops when your product has reached room temperature for a while. So that's, that's the difference. You know, many people will take the pie, like you said, they take the pie out of the oven, and they think it that's the so end of the good. recipe. Well, they look so good. Yeah. yeah, you just want to cut into it. And that's the biggest mistake you can make. Same with the cake, same with bread, same with anything that's baked dough. You just let it sit, let it rest. And most importantly on plums and peaches and yeah. cherries. Because it's very wet. Because they're very juicy, yeah. The next day when it's sitting out on the counter mm. and you go yeah, by with a spoon right, yeah. and that's when it tastes the yeah, best. Yeah, exactly. When did you bake this? Uh, 10.30 last night. 
You probably were Part mad. That's why you think it's a mess. It's beautiful. <laughs> and did you cut it right away? No. You cut it this morning? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, it's <coughs> totally fine. Well, uh, there's, there's all these sorts of things to do with perfect peaches and perfect plums right now. Uh, to me, one of the things that uh, I really like when I'm making fruit pies is I'll put full grinds, I mean, full grinds of black pepper uh, in my fruit mm-hmm. pies just to kind of brighten the flavor. Uh, and to uh, it just perks it a little bit. Sure. So it's another, it's another part of balancing it out. It gives a little heat and it gives a little yeah, crunch. I'm not going for the heat so much, but I'm going for the. Uh, it's a little, it's like using a little bit of Tabasco in a recipe, right? It right. doesn't. You're not using it for the heat. You're using it for the perk. Right. Uh, so good idea. I like to do. Good idea, Tom. Yeah. It's almost time for your food for thought. Tasty trivia challenge brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. They're so delicious, made right out in Ballard at my warehouse and factory in ballard so you don't want to and miss they're this. fresh right now and they're fresh right now you don't want to miss this i mean they really are so fresh right now because we can't keep them up can't keep up this time of year and so we're just going as fast as we can go so beautiful thing uh okay when we come back it's the hot stove society show cairo radio 97.3 fm It's the Hot Stove Society Show. We're so thankful that you've been with us for the whole two hours. We love that. Uh, hopefully you're having a good time like we are here in the studio, which we do every week. The fun two hours of our week, isn't it, Chef? Absolutely. Food for Thought Tasty Trivia is brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs, my very own line of sauces, rubs, and mustards that can be found all over the country. You know, we're in about 5,000 different retail locations. Did you know that? That's a lot of inventory. Yeah. Uh, specialty food stores and meat and seafood shops alike, uh, like uh, Princess Seafoods in Fort Bragg, California, Aquarius Fish in Salt Lake City, Utah, or the Butcher Block with locations in uh, uh, all throughout Las Vegas and Nevada. They're all, they all carry our You are everywhere. <laughs> A&J's in Phoenix. And, of course, uh, locally, Bartels is running a little uh, ad on their website for it right now with the Ancho Molasses barbecue sauce. So it's, we're very proud of our products. Uh, get out and try one. One of these days, or we might not be able to do trivia anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We won't be able to give it away. (laughs) Pamela, how do people play this game? And since uh, Sean's on the team and he's playing, who's going to win a prize? Do we have somebody listening on YouTube or watching? Uh, Carol's going to win the prize because she wrote the trivia. But I'm not going to give her rub with love. I'm going to give her... Carol can't win the prize. Uh, (laughs) members cannot win. We need a listener. Okay, listeners, email Pamela because... just uh, chimed in and they were like, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. could, I could okay, out, Sean's going to pick uh, a, a listener. Somebody right. on our YouTube channel? Yes, okay. that's yeah. a good idea. All right. All right. So. so we have a new listener, a new YouTube viewer from the South that's excited about the show. Okay. Adam Jones. Hey, Adam, you're the winner. Send us your address <coughs> so I can send you a prize. Pamela H. at TomDouglas.com. Thank you, Adam. You're going to get emails from like 18 Adam Joneses. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'll have. I'm actually sending one right now. <laughs> Can I get one right. of each How of the rub? Five questions that Carol wrote, and they're all uh, foods about foods that start with a let the letter O. Oh, this oh, wow. is a Orange. good. You would theme. think that she would wait for October for this <laughs> quiz. But O is, just stretches on and on. There's a, that would be an otter disaster. <laughs> uh, but we're, uh, we always start with Mr. Otero. I'll stop. Go ahead. Watch so me. remember foods that start with O. Watch me. First word, I'm going to say T something. <laughs> Name the Italian 
classic veal dish topped with gremolata. Osobuku. Yes. This cookie was... Which is a veal shank, by the way. Correct. That's braised. Created yeah. by Nabisco in 1912. And Oreo. <laughs> Milk's favorite Carol, cookie. really? Really, Carol? <laughs> what is the name of the cocktail made of whiskey, bitters, and a sugar cube? I know this on top of it. I don't think you do. <laughs> no? Brandy, sugar... No, whiskey. 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 Bitters. Sugar cube. I don't know. You don't think I know? You're a fashionista, aren't you? Usually has orange um, garnish. You're a fashionista, aren't you? Oh, that's you're playing a word on me. A fashionista. Old fashion. Old fashion. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, my How much God. more could I have <laughs> given you? One of my favorite drinks on top of How it. How much more could I have given you? That's a no-go, buddy. That's a no. That's a minus Another a name for the organs and discarded pieces during butchering. Awful. Yes. And finally... Some people think they are awful. <laughs> name the Most people do. Baltimore seafood seasoning in Oreo. the yellow. Orioles. <laughs> Orioles. You didn't listen to the question, Chef. The Baltimore seafood team. seasoning. <laughs> Never mind. In the yellow I thought it was going to be the baseball team. <laughs> yes, I, I have one in my cupboard. I'm trying to remember the name. A little bit like Elliot Bay. I, yeah. Oh, Old Bay. Thank you, Tom. Ooh. God, I really have to... <laughs> Spoon feed this guy. I don't know. Should we give him... Old Bay seasoning. Yes, yeah. I got one in my cupboard. I, I must say I don't use it very often, but... What's the, I th- what's the canned pasta we should make him eat for lunch? Remember the, the little O's? Uh, Spaghetti-O's. Spaghetti-O's oh, we should yeah. make you eat for lunch after doing such a... All right, Sean <laughs> would, uh, McFadden, are you, are you ready to follow that incredible... Oh, yeah, come over here. Yeah, come on over so people can see your pretty face. All right, Sean is our exec- technical producer. Go, Sean. This herb of the mint family is used most often in Italian and Greek dishes, starting with uh, an O. Oregano? Yay! Wow. In How did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> Decades of cooking. In 1883, a lunch meat company was started in Chicago by two German immigrants. This company has become synonymous with hot dogs and bologna. Name this company that Does he have starts to sing with the song an O. Too, <laughs> Oscar Mayer. You, I'll sing the song. You are rocking it. Clementine, <laughs> bergamot, and navel are ty- are what types of fruit? Orange. Yep. I feel like these questions are a little too easy. <laughs> no, no, no. You, I want you to get uh, fair, fair. a complete score. Uh, name the co- chocolate milk flavoring introduced in 1904. Oval is, is it really chocolate? Ovaltine. Chocolate flavor. Five. What is the name of the dish made of beaten eggs, fried in butter, and often folded? With an O. Eggs. Five, four, three, two, one. Omelette. Wow. Maybe they weren't too easy. I think you. Yeah, you beat Carrie. Way to go, You stumped them. Oh, did you have four, too? Yeah. Okay. My God, he's so tall. Tom Douglas. I gave him all the ones he got. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This common breakfast cereal served hot is thought to reduce the risk of heart disease. I don't believe it because it makes me uh, (laughs) glycemic when I eat it. It does. It gives me the jitters. Uh, Oatmeal. Oatmeal. Correct. Nyon, galleta, and picholine are types of uh, what garnish or snack? Olives. Yes. This seed pod is often found in Caribbean or Southern cooking. Could be okra. Yes. 
This, Carol, you're going too easy on him. This root vegetable slash bulb is found around the world in many colors and sizes. <laughs> you know Julia Child said about that, right? I think. No, I don't she know. said, I can't believe there would be a civilization without... Oh, that's right, without an onion. Without yeah. onions. This tea is made from the Camella sinensis plant and is a great middle ground between black and green teas. This is a dynamic question, and I'm very excited to answer it. Oolong. Yay! Tom Douglas is the winner and is sending the prize to Adam. Adam Jones, congratulations. Um, not only do I now have to buy the price, but now I have to, Chef Terry has to ship it. That's right. Hopefully you live very far away. Hopefully you don't live in Florida. <laughs> if you want to be part of the show, you can watch the taping on YouTube at Tom Douglas and Company or buy a ticket to come to the show in person, hang out with us and have a really good time and tell Pamela how good her cake is. That's at uh, hotstovesociety.com. You're listening to us on Cairo, of course, and this show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, sound and production by Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen live via podcast. I guess it wouldn't be live. Listen via podcast. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.